Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer, this recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hey guys, it's Jacqueline here. Today we have an episode, it's an interview with Jordan and he is one of a kind and his story is so unique and crazy and absurd that's why I wanted to share it with you guys I met him he is sharing with you a newer concept that it's kind of like intuitive eating but it's a little bit different he shares some controversial beliefs um, some things that I think you might tilt your head at but I still want you to give him a chance listen I think he has a lot of good things to say and things that um, are important for this community for people People trying to recover from uh, eating disorders from any type of disorder behavior because he's really empowering you to do so in your own way so I think his story is incredible to go through something like what he's gone through um, he shares a lot of it so just be patient with him but I think it's so so important to to listen to and uh, lots of interesting things there but I also want to share with you guys an update so I um, have been posting confessions for, uh, I try to do 30 days, I got to 24. I just realized I was really forcing it. And I was also trying to post some low level truths that, you know, I didn't love sharing, but I kind of didn't also feel that bad about sharing. And I realized that's not the point of the challenge. That's not the point of what I'm doing. The point is to share things that make me feel uncomfortable, but that I believe need to be said and that would teach people things, but I just don't want to share them. So I shared my last two truths, this one yesterday and then today, and they were definitely truths that I really didn't want to share. They made me feel uncomfortable. This one today, I especially felt like I wanted to throw up immediately after posting it just because I know it's so controversial in the eating disorder community, the health at every size community. But I felt like I needed to be honest with my audience on where I stand. So if you want to... Uh, read all those confessions and see tons of strange things about me, you know, how bad my relationship really got at some point, then I highly recommend you go check out my Instagram for that. And also the group coaching, the deadline to sign up for that is the 28th. There is still one spot available. If you're interested, you can find that group coaching in the link below. Otherwise, enjoy this crazy interview and keep an open mind. And um, yeah, thanks for listening to all of you guys out there. Bye. So hi, everyone. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have an exciting guest on here. I actually found him on Instagram, where I find a lot of coaches and therapists and guests that have a lot to say. But he is an empowered eating coach. His name is Jordan Ross. And I'm really excited for a couple reasons, because I'm sure you guys will be intrigued by the term empowered eating. I'm curious, like I want him to share about that. Um, I think he has a lot of great advice on binge eating experience himself with that and his story. I know like you guys are going to think it's just a normal story, but it's very unique. So I think you guys will be interested in hearing about that too. So Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's really good to be here. I'm really, really excited. This is, uh, it's work that I love that I spend 10, 12 hours a day in researching, working with people. Um, it means a lot to me. So 
something like this is a chance to come and connect with a whole new audience. And I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So who do you primarily work with? Just real quick. I primarily people struggling with with their relationship to food. Um, it's uh, binge eating is the, the, the word that my my clientele uses to describe their problem, their the out of control feeling that they have with food. Um, it's ideal with people in all different body shapes, um, different ages. My I have a male client as young as 23. And I've worked with women. Um, I work with a woman as uh, 63 right now. So it's a broad um, uh, scope of people, but they all have that thing in common. And, and it brings us together. And then yeah, I, 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 a lot of my people will have tried other things and they're ready for a new solution and they tend to have that in common as well. Um, so, so it's, it's a wide variety of people, but they all, I really, I like being in the conversation. Um, I love nutrition, I love food, I love, uh, and I love learning from, from life. And I find food to be a really powerful teacher that's, that's always there. So I really like in the nutrition space, I like being in the how conversation, not the what. So the follow through um, and all of the the challenges and amazing breakthroughs. I just got off a call that was so rewarding. Um, so anybody who's really fighting with themselves and really feel like they've tried everything, um, these are tend to be the, the things my, my clients have in common with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate. Like it is really rewarding to work with these people. And I love that you said like different age groups as well and different, like it's a wide variety of people. People think, Oh, it's only just like a women thing. It's only like a 20, 20 year old or younger thing. And it's like, no, it can be different body shapes, different ages, different genders, whatever. Like a lot of people struggle with food. And you mentioned that like, it's not the, it's not the, um, did you say it's not the how or it's not it's it's the how not the what but it's like specific things about nutrition and stuff like that which I'm sure we'll get into but please tell us like I know about it which is why I keep like putting little easter eggs but tell us like your kind of eating disorder your binge eating story yeah so so definitely that's that's the stuff I like because I like the art of life I taught I taught yoga for seven years um, I spent two years in India I really like being in the conversation of nuanced and and how to make things actually happen and that's why I guess I'm so um I get I I talk about buzzwords a lot and stuff because they breeze past detail but you asked about so yeah when when you talk about the the different genders and ages and stuff like I'm I'm the last person I that if I didn't experience this, I would have the same assumptions. I'm a 36 year old male, um, very against the stereotype. I, I love hockey. Um, you know, I don't drink anymore, but I grew up beers with the guys, very standard dude, alpha. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That word's getting thrown around these days, but I'm just a normal guy. And just a bro. So there is, what's that? I said just a bro. Yeah. And even that word is now. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not I, you. You often think it's it's women 18 to 36 and it's it's really just not. And that's what I, I love about what I've done is I've stood up as a guy or as a uh, relatable face to people who couldn't find a relatable face. And that was because I, I had to create the face that uh, I couldn't find online. I couldn't find a guy that I could connect with about the how around food. It was all just nutrition plans. And I often knew more about food 
than the person I was working with, but they weren't getting into the the fact that I couldn't control it. Um, so the the story of how it happened, it wouldn't have found me if not for this uh, very, very unique experience. So I say I'm a student of life. I love, I have a really intense passion for life, curiosity, travel. Um, and when I was 23, I left Canada just on a one-way ticket. This was the second trip of, the, actually the third major uh, multi-country trip that I took. And I really have a kind of a thirst to have unique experiences within a country. So in India, went to Taj Mahal and really didn't get much out of it, but then would go and seek out kind of a dirt village and really have the experience I was looking for. So I ended up doing that. And I also had this problem where I knew I wanted to travel, but there was nowhere I wanted to go. I wanted experience, not destination. So I bought that one-way ticket to London. And I just said, I'm going to try to get to Thailand without taking a flight. And I'm, I more drew a line or I didn't even draw a line. I didn't know if I'd go through Russia or the Middle East or Africa, then the Middle East. And I took my time. It took me a year to even get to the Middle East. I went down into Africa, came back up, spent the summer you know, surfing in England with people I met in Africa. And then I said, okay, it's time. I had always said I have more time than money. So if I could ever be in a place and not be spending then I would do it. So I had that opportunity in Morocco and England and Ukraine. And then I did this. And then I, I went. So I was like, okay, I've spent a year exploring. And I was always really curious, honestly, about Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. And because I was like, I don't know one thing about these places. And I felt like I knew everything about England. And so I actually kind of felt bad that I was spending time in Western Europe and started to push through. So I make things up as I go along, or at least I did in my early 20s. And the visas for those countries are almost impossible to get, especially on short notice. So I, I went back to the drawing board. I was in Russia trying to get into those countries. I only had a 10-day Russian visa. I had no planning. And they said, you can't, and you have to actually leave Russia. So I had to go. I went back around, ended up in Turkey. And I'm, I'm navigating how do I get there. I didn't want to go through Pakistan or Afghanistan. I wanted to be on the edge of experience, but I didn't want to be stupid. Um, but, And I actually decided, you know what, this land thing you're not going to be able to make happen. I booked a flight to India, but it didn't pan out. Anyway, I decided to go through the Middle East. Um, I decided to go right through it and take the risk. And I was worried about Pakistan. I was not worried about Iran. So my guard was down. Uh, there was, this was in at the end of 2009, there was mm. a huge political upheaval. They're trying to oust Ahmadinejad through like disputed elections. I went in and I saw, you know, in Pakistan, there's going to be problems for me because they target foreigners in Iran. I saw they're targeting their own people sad, but I should be okay. Uh, I wasn't, I got too close to protests. I got identified, um, series of things happened. I was robbed and ended up, I, I lived with homeless people for a week like that, that the edge of experience that I was seeking and I found in Spain and Paris, I decided also to do in Tehran. Um, I spent 10 days living with this gang of homeless people that we would go around and I worked with them and we made a little bit of money and we slept at the airport. We slept in abandoned buildings. And this sounds crazy to people, but yeah, I, I just yeah. trusted humanity, right? So they ended up robbing me on Christmas Day. Um, and I still think they did it out of necessity. I think they were they were good people. Um, but I was I was screwed and I had to end up I met a local 
long story short, I only have my tent left. I went to the Grand Bazaar to try to sell it to stay to get a hotel for the night. And I couldn't um, sell it. And some locals invited me to stay with them. I stayed with them for a week while the riots like within, you know, surrounding our house were happening. Police were being thrown off bridges. Universities were being firebombed. Police stations are being firebombed. We're watching it on TV and it feels so close and so far away. And you just never think it'll happen to you. And it did. Um, The secret police came and and picked us up off the street. It would be uh, a 10 part podcast to get into the ways that I think that happened. But I ended up being very, very seriously accused and charged with espionage and international terrorism in Iran. Um, you, you may be wondering, how does this lead to food and how does this relate to me? It, it will. And I, I will get to that shortly. Um, I spent two months in there under those charges. Um, even I was so curious, the first few days were quite interesting. And I was like, okay, well, my visa ends soon. I'm Canadian. I should be okay. I was very worried for my friends. But a weekend, they, they, they ratcheted everything up and they, they started to uh, physically interrogate me and, and strongly accuse um, and, and as I essentially present where they were coming from, whereas the previous week was, was uh, curious and now it was mean and very, very serious and angry. And they spent the next 49, I mean, they spent really the next 15, 20 days uh, pouring on the interrogation and then they essentially they didn't tell me i was convicted but through threats and signals and moving me around in the prison um i was convinced i was convicted i got they said you'll know in a few days and i got moved to the back of the front or the back of the prison not let out so they they were they were systematically picking me apart because at the end of the day like when i came into their country they were like who are you and what are you doing here and everything I would have thought I was a spy. Nobody does what I did, but it took them two months of looking through my emails, my Facebook, all this to see, wow, he's just really naive. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the, how does that tie to food? Well, I was only 24. I had the most painful experience that someone can have. I was, I was uh, physically and mentally tor- tortured for 61 days. And and I was a hundred million percent certain that I was going to be there for decades or hung and at any minute. Mm-hmm. And so I'm under all that stress. Um, the only good thing, and I was in solitary out of the 61 days, probably 50 days, 23 and a half hours a day with nothing in there at all. Uh, the only thing that happened was food. The only thing that happened, right? So it became quite a rallying point. Um, it became, and then I've since learned about all the ways that our nervous system relaxes while we eat all the ways that my brain paired together in that room, you know, every other moment of the day, we're either crying or punching the wall or screaming. And there's, there's maybe 60 minutes a day where we're calm. And that thread was connected. And I was, so you take that, they let me out. They said, Hey, we're sorry, our mistake. Um, and sent me home. My adventure of a lifetime was over. What's that? Like going through all that and then being like, Hey, sorry, you can, you can leave. Like, uh, awful. Yeah. And they even like the, the head of the prison came and talked to me. Um, and you could tell I had a cellmate at that time 
and he left and he was like in 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 farsi i learned quite a bit of it bazork is big and nafar is person and he was going bazork nafar like he was saying like an official came because he came and he said hey uh, we realized we made a mistake and we do apologize. Do you have to understand we're in the middle of a revolution and it was a misunderstanding and we want you to know that you're welcome to come back uh, to Iran. Uh, <laughs> and if if they ever switch regimes, I will go back. It's probably my deepest dream to revisit uh, Evan Prison. This this would be the ultimate for me uh, to go back there and to to see that because shifts in government do happen. When our parents were young, Afghanistan was was a traveler's haven, right? And it shifts and Vietnam was impossible. So I would love that. And, and, um, but I won't go back, uh, while, while these guys are, while the IRGC is in power, the revolutionary guard, that's whose possession I was in. So you take that, that passionate of a person and that like, I need to live on, this is how I work. I need to live with a lot of thrill and a lot of, uh, excitement to, to feel alive. And you take that man and you make him afraid of his deepest passion. Uh, you create a, like a very, a bomb basically. And I was afraid of the world. I was afraid to leave. I was afraid to travel. Like I got home. My mom was like, we're burning your passport. Um, we didn't, I still have it with their writing and stamps and stuff, but it was very much like my, the thing that made me feel alive was forbidden all of a sudden. So I fell in love with other things. Um, I fell in love with being alone because in in solitary, my brain paired alone with safety. Um, when I came home, I felt like I was different than everybody. So it was hard to relate to people. So it my PTSD was uh, still is quite, quite deep, but at the beginning was, was very urgent and couldn't be around people. So it was a lot of, I mean, Sugar, food, sleeping pills, alcohol, marijuana, uh, because you've got a brain that craves excitement. And I had to create that excitement without leaving the house. So did that for three years, started to see some healing potential in yoga uh, because therapy wasn't doing it because it was it was too nuanced what I was experiencing. And I don't know if another Canadian has ever had it happen to them. It's all people from Iran. So couldn't relate. So yoga gave me this indication that maybe within myself, I could make some progress on this. And my friend literally, she took me through a class on my bedroom floor. And it was kind of the language was like, look within you. And I was like, wait, I could, I could start to take myself back. And I started going to yoga every day for two years, went to a class and I was selling cars and I was just trying to make money to, because I'm starting to go, I'm not afraid to travel or I'm afraid, but I'm going to travel and saved up money for two years, went to a class every day, went to India for 20 months, bought again, a one-way ticket there, uh, took three teacher trainings, got a job there teaching, learned a lot, a lot, um, and made a lot of growth, but still was binge drinking, binge eating, binge smoking, and spending a lot of time alone. Uh, came home like growing into myself, but still speed wobbling, still having a hard time. I was like five years, six years out of Iran now, but it, it destabilized my relationship with my mom. It's destabilized her already unstable life. And anyway, a month after I got home, my mom uh, took her life uh, in 2016. I think it was a cry for help, but because uh, I've done the same thing and, and lucky not died. Um, 
I still haven't accepted that she meant to die, but she wrote a note and my life went back into, uh, like it went into the worst emergency. It was, it's, it's the, it, that plus I ran and I was in the middle of my healing anyway, set off three more years of, of hell and almost dying and a lot of binge eating, right? Like I'm desperately grasping at straws. Um, this would just be maybe two more minutes that I, I wrap up this arc. I've got better at it because You're it's, fine. I've written a book on yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Okay. It's really important. Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot to get into a story. So I, that three years, um, like a lot of suicidal ideation threats in and out of the hospital, in and out of work. Um, I'm diagnosed borderline personality disorder. I, I take what I need from diagnoses and I leave what I don't because I'm an independent free thinker, but there I have strong tendencies towards uh, intense emotional outbursts when I'm in pain. And so you take losing your mom and, and getting tortured. And for three years, I was, I can't believe I lived through all of that. And then uh, essentially this comes full circle because I was arrested January 1st, 2010. And Christmas 2019, I had a huge blowout because alcohol plus PTSD is a disaster and plus holidays and a traumatized family. And I, again, just drank too much, lost it. Everybody lost it. But I always go, when you've, I feel like I've experienced full and complete shattering of my, my heart and soul. And when you experience that depth and I'm rebuilding it, I have hope. But then I think nothing is off limits. So when I would go into a PTSD alcohol zone, it was homicidal, suicidal. And it was never actions. I've never hurt somebody. And even that, I think, is a blessing because I don't have a violent streak. But the amount of pain, I would see people express violence. And I would say, like, I, I feel that. That's pain. Um, but threats and anyway, said things to my sister, like, yeah, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, right? While she kicked me out. Anyway, really bad and and spent three days uh, after that drinking, like during Christmas, going to a hotel, getting kicked out, got arrested, got put in the hospital because I was texting. My, my thing was to threaten suicide. Um, and then I knew the police are looking for me in a little town in BC, uh, Western Canada. I live in the, the province just east of it. And they found me, let me out of the hospital because I know how to get out of hospitals, went to the bar and drank triples and just it's boxing day and drank and drank and drank. And then, you know, 12 hours later, wake up in a jail cell uh, naked with a rubber blanket that was like a beach towel. So I, I was either laying on concrete with rubber on me or laying on rubber with nothing on me naked. And I had one slide of memory in the cell of the night, taking off my shirt. And I, I was, I was like trying to hang myself on the corner of the door frame. It wasn't real, but they came in, they rolled their eyes and took all my clothes. But I woke up in that jail cell. So, so hungover. my family. Like I had just caused a third degree problem with my family and I'm, and all of a sudden now I'm having flashbacks and I'm uh, like, and the guy, the guard was really, really hostile. And that was like, if I had a gun there, I had to, it was like in Iran, I always said, if I had the pain when I don't like, sorry, but I was like, I was desperate edge of pain. I can't do another moment in here. And 
ended up, um, that was my moment. It was essentially the realization I had there was in five days, it'll be 10 years since the day you got arrested. And what's happened? A lot of trying. Like you went to India, you lost your mom, you're a good man, a lot of trying, but a lot of avoidance, a lot of avoidance. And I was like, I, I called my best friend. We talked for two hours in the airport waiting for my plane. I was sobbing and he, he had recently got sober and he was like, you know, I think the only thing you can do right now is just take a stance for your clarity and show your family and yourself that you're ready to at least and I realized they took all the 2010s from me. So I go, wow, what's 2020s got for me? What if I changed and got sober that day? Um, never drank again after that. Uh, the guy I was arrested with got refugee status in Canada because he helped the Canadian embassy get access to me. And I hadn't seen him in 10 years because I thought he was a spy they sent to kill me. And I decided to... I was like, you know what, for the 10 year anniversary, because once I got sober and I said, this is a theme of real healing, not going to yoga and I'm fucking doing it. They're not taking the rest of my life from me. They're not taking another family member from me. I'm all in. So I said, okay. And I started writing my book. And, and so my release date, or the date I got home was March 9th. And I said, for that date, I want to be in Toronto with Hamid. Um, he lives on the other side of the country. It's like New York and Seattle. And I wrote my whole book in those two months. I wrote uh, 120 pages or so and got it all out and then went and saw him. We had the same meal that we had the day we met in Tehran. Um, and he said things to me about his pain and experience there that I had never heard anyone say. And we had understanding between us in quiet moments at dinner that scare me now just that it, it things that happen to you you don't expect that when you're in there you think if i ever see my family again i'll just smother them with love and then you get out and you can't be around them so the confusion and the unexpected things was very healing and i'm very fortunate because i did that right before the pandemic so when the pandemic hit i was square and i was ready and i had all the time in the world lost my job and said, okay, um, after I saw Hamid, I went to Cuba for a week and kind of was editing my book and was, and COVID, like the Canadian border closed the day I flew home. And I was like, wow, huge chapter. What am I going to do? I'm going to start an Instagram where I just start talking and see what happens. And maybe it leads to book sales, maybe it whatever. And would talk about my experience, would talk about my food, my sobriety, and really started connecting with people and hadn't even thought about coaching. I'd see people sometimes say they were a coach and I was always like, wow, like how? And then I, I, I was just like, I'm really good at, I like, I have a lot of life experience. I never had the, it in me to get a PhD, but I always was like, you'd be a great therapist. And then coaches started making their way into my feed and coaching programs and I'm getting a following of people who are, and I got confidence and started shooting videos. And then people are watching me and they're going, uh, they're like, I, I like what you're saying. So anyway, I started to get like some confidence and then signed up for a program. And through that program, um, started seeing, like, I thought all of the things I could take care of. And, but the binge eating actually was something that I was going to consciously preserve. Like, I was like, you, that is the thing. No, 
Um, and I started through the experience of the program was practice coaching, practice. So you got that helper's high. You got that experience of being seen, heard, and validated. Like four or five times a week, we had to do it once a week, but I was doing as many as I could and just for practice. And I'm making all these friends and my life is changing in ways that, you know, my therapist really does help me. We have a great relationship. It took me nine years after I ran to find him. But I started going, holy, like this coaching thing is just like crowdsourced, like the people's version of education. And it may not be that, but it's no less. And it's it's for these these people who have the ground level experience. And that's why I was so just taking these weekly leap forward, leaps forward, because it was people in pain who knew pain. Anyway, they weren't academics. They were real people from all walks of life. And I started like having reduction in my binging. And then I started approaching, who do I want to help with this coaching? Do I want it to be sobriety? Could it be binging? And over the course of last year, um, allow myself to commit to it, embrace it. And, and then even when I committed to it, it triggered a ton of binge eating because it brought mm -hmm. out the, the perfectionist in me, the expectation. And that was when I had to frame food as my greatest teacher, the teacher that I will interact. It will always show me where I'm at. It, I will interact with it at least three times a day, but often throughout the day. And I had to frame it as an opportunity to step into my work and the journey as a blessing. And as I did that, I started doing that in my messaging and people started to to dig into that. So um, that that would kind of lead to the methods and stuff that I developed. But this is really how how I got squished and, and came to this place. Um, and it was hard for me to, to talk about it. And even over the last year, I've had phases where I love it and then stepped back from it. And I keep um, I kept recommitting to it. And over the last four or five months, it's really started taking off and and I'm really glad that I chose to say, yeah, it's hard as a guy to say I'm 36 and I can't say no to ice cream. And then you know what? I'm really glad that I did because mm -hmm. it's uh, it's becoming something beautiful now. So that's kind of that's kind of what brought me here. <laughs> yeah, well, um, that was an amazing story. First of all, very like. I'm sure a lot of people listening to right now are thinking like, what the hell? Like, that's just a crazy thing to go through. You really did experience like so many things that can go wrong in a human life all at once. So it makes sense why you went into a lot of the things that you went into. And what you were just saying there too, about like opening up about the fact that you can't say no to ice cream. Like a lot of people think to be successful, you need to have everything figured out and then talk about it. And it's really quite opposite. And I think that like you share your struggles, things that are going on right now, that's huge. And I love that you said like food as my greatest teacher, like leaning into it really like when you're teaching people and you can use it as a teaching tool, you learn so much. So I'd love to know, um, and again, it's hard to follow up with a story like that, but <laughs> I would love to know, um, you know, what, how did you tackle the binge eating just from your own perspective? Yeah. So the best, uh, uh, with, um, the biggest problem that I created for myself when I embraced, uh, solving the problem of binge eating was convincing myself I didn't have it anymore. 
and not lying, but avoiding the whole story. And what really sparked my change was when I, I went live and said, you know, in India, I learned about there's two kinds of teachers. There's one on the hill uh, who has knowing and doesn't mix. And you get you get something you need from that teacher. But there is the the teacher who lives in the village, right? And the teacher who's who's in the trenches with you, right? And I said, hey, this is hard for me to say, but yeah, but but I'm I this is the teacher I want to be. And it feels really uncomfortable trying to be the other teacher and I'm struggling. And, uh, and I don't think that that's separate from my process. And I think me trying to make it separate made it, uh, you know, really, really aggravated it. And it punctured a ton of my extremes. It connected me to someone who's now, um, like a, a assistant, a raving fan, but I'm a raving fan of hers. She's helping me develop the program. She's going to be like my dream now is to help her accomplish her goals and empower her as a coach. Right. Um, she messaged me and was like, thank you so much for, for doing that. It created that bond, which is like transformed my, my direction. And it made it, it made it not immaculate anymore. It wasn't this perfect secret. It punctured it and it connected me to my audience and my journey. And it allowed me uh, it, the shift that had to happen there was for me to welcome my whole self on my journey. And that shift created a lot of acceptance. And it's there's many layers I went through in dropping it. But that one was very a really compassionate hand that I, I, I offered to myself and that I offer to people. So I think that was like the seed of it starting to change. Um, and then there was a lot of kind of chapters after that. But that was a big shift. Mm -hmm. so like knowing that you're to sum that up knowing you're not like this all-knowing being like most of us none of us are really the teacher on the hill right we're, we're in there um really owning that part of you then kind of not only like helping people but then helping or not only helping people but then kind of meeting them on their level like I think it's so cool that you work with someone it sounds like and then wasn't they were an assistant now and you're empowering them as well you're creating a community it's not just like you versus students, right? It's like you both mm -hmm. together, working together, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that that was uh so a, a lot of the thing that informed my approach was uh that my needs weren't met by the options out there, to be honest. I found it empowered eating out of necessity uh because I wasn't served by what was out there. And what was out there was a lot, a lot of hierarchy. And you can be like me if you just do this. You can just do. You'll be like me, and and a lot of doubt about what was going on. Um, so I felt like, yeah, it wasn't even a conscious decision, but I was becoming um, the coach that I, I couldn't find, and and then that that created a space for healing. That it's it's an early thing that I do with people. Um, puncturing those those extremes and expectations people think the program adds pressure it is really really designed to to relieve pressure um and and then that started to when what's that join a program people put so much pressure on themselves when they join a program like when people work with me the same thing they're like i was nervous to work with you because then you think you have to be perfect and it's like that's not that's not the case so that's awesome you said that yeah, that's that's the expectation people have of themselves, um, mm -hmm. and 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 it's it's 
I felt like this, the, I started seeing the scene heard and validated was really powerful. And, and the, the uh, being on the same level was really powerful. So started to, to implement those things. And then the scene heard and validated, I wasn't experiencing that. Um, I wasn't experiencing that with really clickish online ways of eating movements. And I wasn't experiencing that, uh, I wasn't experiencing the, the validation from the movements and I wasn't experiencing the connection from the coaches because I was like, you're lying. There's no way people don't live like this. So, um, I started to, yeah, become more vulnerable because I needed that. And then I started to, you know, like empowered eating became, I, I did a training yesterday on reframing restriction. And I talked about that it was founded out of necessity because I was essentially in my eating. I was homeless. I couldn't find my tribe because every time I tried to enter one, they would say, you can't come in here with that. If you say keto, you're not, you can't intuitively eat and do X. So um, I respect and support intuitive eating because it, it, it is different than what it's uh, become in some places online and whatever it's become, it was desperately needed in the climate, uh, you know, especially women, but also men have been bullied about the way they look by people with a lot of money and power for a long time. So I really support it. Um, what I didn't like was that I couldn't bring my, my, my tools were considered disordered. I like mm -hmm. to fast. I love to fast. I really do. And that's okay. And that's my experience with like a clinician. I would talk about that and they'd be like restrict and they would go through the DSM five. And I was like, Ramadan, um, India, like the experiences I've had around hunger are not the same as yours. So don't disempower me with your uh, academic assumptions or your just your social media assumptions. And I kept having to remove parts of myself. So as much as it's hard to have an all encompassing thing, because it would be a lot easier in my group if I had like a PDF plan for how to do it. Um, I said, it's kind of like intuitive eating, uh, 2.0 because we I, I feel like it's true intuition I it's uncensored intuition you can fast you can keto you can carnivore uh you can name your diet whatever you want you can name it Gary Larry Sue whatever you want <laughs> keto carnivore for me I will do like four days carnivore and then I'll I'll get a craving for a, a weekend where I'm really curious about different fruits and stuff and then I'll go into that and because I'm so unique and chaotic and impulsive uh, a universal system didn't work. So I started speaking about that and I was really nervous because as a man, I'm coming into this world of food relationship and I have different ideas because I have different experiences, but I have to be cautious and respectful. I don't want to trigger people. I don't want to get canceled. I don't want to. So a few times I put it out there. What about this with like the all food stuff? What about like, like just having Reese's and saying, is it food? I don't know. It might be. And, and just kind of asking those questions really cautiously, because I was terrified that I would get unfollowed by everyone. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were replying and saying, Hey, I've like really felt alienated by, by a lot of, um, it's not all, but it's a lot of slim influencers saying, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying and really started connecting with it. And I started to kind of embrace it and I actually shied away from it because some intuitive eating people that I really liked and respected unfollowed me. And I mm. stepped back again and I was like, okay, I don't want to throw rocks at something. I just want to hold what I am. 
And it got to a point where I was like, the market, the market knows what I am by hearing first what I'm not. And there are people within intuitive eating who need it and they can keep it. But there's people that I have to serve. And the best way to serve them is to compare. And about, it was only maybe two months ago, I started really embracing it and really hammering on the empowered eating thing. And now I've got clarity in, in my group. I've also got clarity in my outcome. Another thing about intuitive eating, I don't like that they're not weight loss supportive. Right. That yeah. you're, they state you, your goal will fail before you try it because of statistics. And it's baloney to me. Um, I'm not, I don't have weight loss as a fixed outcome, but it, as, as a, I support it as a natural result, if your body has weight to release and 95% of people in our food system right now do, we have a serious problem. And I, I didn't like that solutions and awareness started becoming problematic. Uh, we have a diabetes problem and people are trying to separate. And you know what I mean when um, it's got a lot more about loyalty. It's politicized. It's about loyalty to ideas rather than a functional gateway out. So this is a lot of the where I'm coming from with that. Yeah, I think with the the weight loss and like the body self-acceptance community and stuff like that, it started from a really good place. But there have become some things in the community where it's almost like they're ignoring statistics, science, scientific data and saying, like, you can't even try to lose weight. That's always healthy. It's always bad. It's always negative, always going to lead to disordered eating. And that isn't necessarily the case. And with intuitive eating, I, you know, I promote intuitive eating, but I also um, like I just posted something, something to my Instagram the other day where it's like you can have rules in intuitive eating. Which is mm -hmm. why I like your um, term for it, empowered eating, because it it is like you get to make the rules, right? And you get to define things. And uh, I don't think we should shy away from the idea of weight loss if you do want it. Of course, like people can do what they want with their bodies always. But if you would like to lose weight, you can do it with a really empowered, intuitive approach. So um, I know you're explaining mm -hmm. a little bit, but like, if one was trying to recover from binge eating and they're also looking for weight loss, maybe eventually, what would you recommend? Like what are some first steps you would recommend to them? So there is a business concept that I got introduced to last year that I've applied to binge eating. Um, this is with your business. When you're trying to build a business, you first stabilize then you optimize, then you expand, right? So nice. yeah. you, this, you have to, I had to, I've spent the last year and a half stabilizing my business. What is it? What are my systems? And what's my message, right? And that's like, don't, ex, don't optimize or expand yet. Usually we'll get a hint and then we'll optimize and expand, right? So for people with binge eating, you do have to stabilize first and the, the the big way uh, like a big an important element of that is is to have more not less is to crowd out so i do believe in more the more whole food the better and the way to eat more whole food isn't to limit processed foods it's to eat more whole food and let your body your biology your habits your tongue your experiences slowly fall in love with that and that's what happened to me. I started going to the ice cream aisle and 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 being upset that I didn't want it anymore because my medicine 
didn't work anymore. Right. And that's how I knew that I was, I was like, you are hacking yourself. This, this, uh, brain, you know, like uh, brain wiring stuff that I would often roll my eyes at. I was like, this is really, really real. And so that's one thing is find abundance to fall in love with. Um, and then you can start to stabilize in there because you start to get small wins. You get someone to have a healthy food that's delicious and they love and hits the spot and helps them sleep and does that thing that they need it to do you have created a shift in their life that that will lead to it's an atomic shift i call it right so it's really about finding those lures and that's the empowerment process um is connecting them to like a big atomic shift in in their because you know the how is good but people often need i always say people often need a delicious what in the beginning they're like sure. i need something delicious that's going to stabilize my, my blood sugar is a big part of it when we're on that roller coaster blood sugar feels like hunger and it's it's really good to settle that and then you have the person feeling like oh i'm like uh and you show them um that they know way more than they think and that some of the tools that might have been taken away from them actually serve them and they need sharpening or, or dulling, adjusting, not ditching. So we go back and it's, this all happens. This is the first three weeks of the program is really me listening, 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 listening and discovering and empowering. And so I, that's like, that's what I do in the program. But for that person just suffering, it would be you, you can't fall in love with stopping. You can fall in love with starting. So support groups, coaches, uh, like books, lifelines, those nine years I was seeking. And then I had my moment. What I try to do for people is raise their rock bottom. It doesn't have to be death, divorce, this, this, right. this. I've yeah, given myself four to her. Get to that point beforehand, right? It doesn't. It doesn't. So it's just about like I feel like if I if I spread a, and I almost said there because people I, I've given myself four hernias doing this hernias. So I didn't have to go there, but but people. Um, that's why with my message, I had to frame it as an opportunity and a beautiful green path for it to be inviting. So with my messaging, I'm trying to go, this is great over here. Um, and you can do it too. Instead of my step-by-step -step process fixed me, because then I bring people in and I tell my clients, you are healing me. You're part of my journey. And, and this is something that's fun that we're going to embrace together. And that's, that's the energy I try to create is, is a doorway that's uh, not another crappy experience something that's going to be yeah exciting and open and light you know mm -hmm. yeah I love that advice too of like adding more whole foods in and not like trying to immediately regress and or, or take things out and I also love what you said of like some tools need sharpening others need dulling and I think that like people have such an imbalance when they come to binge eating it's always that all or nothing approach and they like can only have like the sharpest tools in their life or they're just non-existent so i like the idea of adjusting it and you mentioned fasting and that is like a taboo subject in eating disorder community right but there are there is some literature right out there that is fasting is beneficial but then for some people 
maybe not so. So it's kind of like uh, your term empowered eating is kind of like taking what works for you, leaving the rest, using it. So I love that's all really great advice for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, definitely, I, I, there's a lot of literature on fasting, but my, my strongest literature is encoded in me, you know, it's uh and, and the literature just, I, I can't trust science outside of myself. We've been wrong so many times. We've been misled so many times. Uh, liter you, you know, put out all the studies that you want. Cool. I will, I'll learn from them. I'll reference them, but I, I know my experience and then I know I have to, I have to approach the tools that I have with caution. And that's why I attached dull to that. Right. Because I, I make sure in my tool shed that my tools don't become dangerous, but also they don't become obstacles. Um, I don't have people like overly journaling and, and re-complicating this thing. Um, I like to, I work a lot with energy and, and excitement and empowerment, uh, obviously, but <laughs> But yeah, not, not saying, um, I really don't. And that was the fasting thing. So this was when I named it, this is about two months ago. I was in a group, Facebook group called eating disorders, professional network and intuitive fasting book came out and, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's mm -hmm. book yes. and somebody posted it just with an eye roll. And I, I was like, Hey, I'm just curious. Does anyone think here? Like, I know fasting can be bad. I had no idea how bad these people were. Do you, I know it can be bad, but do you think it can be good sometimes? And I had like 700 comments calling me oh. like a dangerous man. And mm -hmm. I was like, can you look at like my, in, my message is pretty complete, but I feel like I want to. And I spent weeks with clinicians from this group messaging me and saying, I agree with you. And I can't say it because I'll get, I'll get kicked out of the group. And I'll get reported and my license will be threatened. Like real, like quite a bit of them, probably a dozen, right? Um, with dialogue while this stuff was going on. And then I, I was like, okay. And the admin was great. She said, I won't remove you. This is a guy who is trying. I've looked at his Instagram. Look at the other men out there. He He's really doing his best and he does work with people. So because he's supportive of one thing, I, I refuse to kick him out. And she empowered me to to continue posting. And I, po I, I post questions to see, do they still like, is it, and it got to the point where she wouldn't remove me, but I left because it was, mm. and I walked away from that. And I said, so wow, hostile. that was disem. Sorry. People were just I, so hostile. See, so hostile and black and white. And it was, and I just said that was, that was so disempowering. And I named that day, I renamed my group before it was un, like support group. And then I called it empowered eating. I named my method. I said, anybody who feels disempowered by the, the cultish clinical approach right now uh, can, can find me. And I found people now I, I've been talking to a woman the last three weeks. She's in my group now that, that was really led astray by that. Um, at the same time, it is good for some people, but I didn't like that. It was so, so one or the other. And so, you know, the South Park episode, you can't be an anti-conformist unless you wear black. It was like that. And I was and now the the narrative is stronger than this, the what's happening. And it's a runaway train. So I said that confirmed everything. Yeah, it's a real shame. I think that uh, I there's so many different approaches to eating disorder recovery. And I have, you know, being a coach in the community. I don't have a therapist label or a medical license or anything. And I've gotten, you know, feedback from that. Like people have 
called me as well like dangerous or like trying to prey on people that sort of stuff and it's kind of like no we're actually trying to help people and it's not a one size fits all sort of sort of approach and like you said there are like really good things about clinical ways of handling things that some people really need those treatments those methods like there's a reason that people promote them a lot of it does work but there's also different people who you're empowering right now that really relate to you and your method works for them. So it's a shame that the exchange of ideas is not always accepted, right? But I'm glad that you found a space where you can do that still. Yeah, and this is, um, is this is the 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 internet these days, this is how like it, it, it shares, I would say the most calorie dense information. It shares the cream of the crop it, and that's mm-hmm. the violence, the divisiveness, the separation, but on the, on the coaching thing, it is a shame. Um, it is unfortunate, but it's also, I really think that in 20 years, we, we are very early adopters of this extremely powerful tool. Um, that's going in, I, 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 I was like, usually therapist is better. I was half, I think for more people I deal with, they need a coach more than they need a therapist. Um, Mm. I still have a therapist last night, $200 for an hour with a guy with a PhD. He's not like, I've been there, done that. He's just longitudinal studies and DSM five. I go to him with the, like, I might die tomorrow type stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And when someone comes to me with, I might die tomorrow type stuff. I refer out coaches don't try to do everything. We right. integrate the 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 useful advice from professionals and we work on ground level habit change. The the medical system is a beautiful extraordinary thing in its growth, in its scale, in its need for scalability and convenience. It wasn't able to be considerate of every single human's needs. It had to to do its thing. We wouldn't have MRIs if we were all kumbaya. They had to say, <laughs> we're going to figure this stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. So that created a gap. And now it's it's an organic thing that's happening. It was created out of necessity and it will grow and it will, I think, shift from being something that's trying to do too much to being summarized and understood as what I just said, right? Integration and, and, and uh, just a real world contact. I can't box with my therapist and say, Hey, blah, blah, blah. But, mm-hmm. and, and you know what I mean? At 10 o'clock at night, but my clients and I, I cheer them on. It's, it's a, it's a friendship that's experienced, systemized and supported. It's really extraordinarily beautiful thing that's come out of necessity that shouldn't be shamed at all. And and I had to empower myself to be confident in it. And I, I just want to offer that to you and other coaches listening too. it's beautiful thing we do. And it's hard enough. I thought you described it beautifully as well. And, you know, when is it necessary for a coach or when is it necessary for a therapist and really separating that? I think it blurs the lines a lot. And it's like, there's a time and need for both, but I would agree that more people probably need a coach sometimes for a lot of the general things that they deal with. Right. And it's like, you don't have to be in this like low pit of despair to be coaching. It could just be this simple thing, but um, I know we're running out of time here. So I'd love to ask, uh, if there's one thing, you know, there's someone out there, they're struggling with binge eating, they're struggling with eating disorders and all this stuff, you know, like, you know what it's like. So what's like one piece of advice you would give them to get them to that next step? What would you say to them? So 
do you remember this video where Marilyn Manson was asked that about the, the Columbine shootings? What's one piece of advice that you would give the kids these days when Marilyn Manson was, was the worst of the worst? Do you know who Marilyn Manson is? Uh, yeah, I do, but I don't remember that video. So look up that video, Marilyn Manson on the Columbine kids, you know, the Columbine okay. shooting. Yes. Yes. I do. And I, I take this opportunity because I, he said, I wouldn't say anything. I, I would listen to them, you know, and um, I know that's not helpful for somebody just listening to the podcast, but I want to preface and I, I, I want to preface with that. Um, it's hard to find someone to listen to you. Honestly, I believe in coaching so much and there's courses you can take like my course, there's courses out there that are 10 grand. My, I'm pretty transparent right now. This will be published later, but my course is a thousand bucks. The, the care and the transformation that you can get for that. So I, I would strongly actually encourage that person to take their time. So hundred percent first before anything, you are a miracle. There's a one in 400 trillion chance that you were born. You are so brilliant, beautiful, worthy, worth fighting for it gives me goosebumps my whole body right now you are so worth fighting for and you might be it took me i say 500 mondays in the dark for me to find the light you might have more you might but you might be closer than you think and whatever your process is i can't give you something that say do this next your process is worth fighting for if you found this podcast you're seeking if you feel like you're failing, if you're failing, that means you're trying. If you heard to the end of this podcast, you're doing it. You're listening. You're listening to this girl's podcast who I, I really like your message. Um, you're, you're obviously exploring coaching. You're there. Give yourself a lot of grace. Try to see you're probably doing a lot more than you're giving yourself credit for. You're probably missing a lot of your home runs. They're really important to celebrate because the brain will not keep trying if victory is always overlooked. Uh, it will turn to seek what you what you seem to to prioritize in your the energy you give your in your mind space. Um, so give yourself that grace, consider coaching. You are, if you're at the end of this episode, find groups, support, see if you can find somebody who you can support. The helpers high is extraordinary. Keep, I kept going into these groups and like putting out hooks and feeling like it was fruitless for months. And then you start to recognize people and then you start to develop a community. And you know what the biggest shift was for me was that as part of my course, we had to get on face to face and see each other and get to know each other. If there's someone in a group that you feel a connection with, I would really encourage you to take that to set up a Zoom and talk to them. It can be really nerve wracking. I canceled like my first 20 because I was in the sugar and full of shame. But it became, um, it, I did, it, I was seen validated and heard by somebody who I wasn't, you might not be able to afford it. You might not be ready for coaching, but you start to honestly meetings. Like I never went to an OA meeting, but when I was getting off alcohol, I, I didn't really have like a draw to alcohol. Um, but I had to like break my habit with it. So after a few months, it was out of my system and I kept going because I was like, this is the only place in the world where I know people lead with, this is what I suck at. And this is what I'm trying hard at this week. So I like go to an AA meeting, 
go to any like any meeting where people are saying it's there's no the internet the street family occasions people aren't saying it's unbelievable the honesty people lead with at meetings um so that is like i always say that the collaborative element of healing cannot be overlooked and that's why everything that and, and empowerment everything i just touched on was believing in yourself and collaborating when you're trying to make an huge change your brain cannot take that and abandonment at the same time this year i lost my two best friends that i've known since i was five because i i started speaking and acting in new ways i would have shut down the process to 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 take away the abandonment if i wasn't creating a new community around me right so so collaborative Join your group, my group, get around people, share, and just believe that if you are failing, that means you're trying and it's it's truly worth it and your moment will come. Yeah, that it's cool that you touched right there on like failing. It is, it means that you're trying. And I was writing today about failure resilience and the fact that like no one gets anywhere without failing, without trying. Um, it has to happen in order to make progress. There's just no other way around it. But no, I love the collaborative aspect. I love what you just touched on everything. If people want to find you, you obviously have a group, like where all can they find you at? Yeah. So Instagram, Jordan Ross underscore EE. This is um, the, the one of the best places. My group is like, that's a, my Instagram is kind of a hook where I get to know people. I share my message and then I want to bring them into my group because that's where they can experience the collaboration and the support they can post. Mm -hmm. They can be seen and heard by it. They can make other friends. Um, I'm setting up exercises that are going to be like skills labs uh, to where I can, I can try to buddy up people in the group so they could search that it's called empowered eaters. Uh, freedom from binge slash emotional eating and food slash sugar addiction. If you can't find that in search, find me on IG Jordan Ross underscore EE and look in my bio. There's a beacons link and it has my um, the, a link to the group. And in my highlights, you can see I'm filling them up more and more, but there's a lot of the like concentrated information about what I'm about, my story and intuitive eating or sorry, empowered eating. Yeah. Yeah. I made you mad. Well, that's awesome. All right. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with me, um, with us. It's a wealth of information and I'm sure you're going to get a lot of people that are interested and in seeing what you're all about. I'm sure you're going to get a lot of people being like, I'm skeptical. I'm going to go look like mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, a lot of people like follow cause they really like strongly maybe disagree. And then they're like, I need to check this out. So hopefully they can learn something and, uh, thank you for being here today. Yeah. And any those people really feel free to message me. You can email me coachjordanross at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram. If you disagree with something I'm saying, I have something to learn from you. So open conversation. I'll set up a face to face or voice notes or just chat. But I, I am an open book. And this is a new idea that's very early in its inception so i will make mistakes i will miss up i will contradict myself and if you see that let me know and i want to evolve with the idea right mm -hmm. i think that's yeah. some beautiful humility there vulnerability it's like we will all make mistakes and we're all learning it's again we're not that teacher on the hill we're learning as we go so really nice exactly right. yeah okay well, well, thank, thank you, you. Hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out 
the Binge Breakers Recovery Course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com slash recovery dash course.